Well, happy Mother's Day. Who got breakfast in bed? Okay, cool. <laughs> it's just like nine o'clock. I thought maybe, no, okay. Well, I want to take just kind of a moment, kind of unapologetically to say happy Mother's Day to my mother, who's in the audience at the moment, who has spent so much energy, time, resources, and love trying to make me a positive addition to society, and also someone who loves Jesus with their whole heart, and so I'm really, really thankful for it. I didn't realize how difficult that must have been until Jenna, my wonderful wife and mother as well, um, had children. It was like, wow, now I get it, Mom. I, I get all the wrestling, all the struggle, so I'm thankful for all that my mom has done in my life, and there are certainly all kinds of things my mom has tried to teach me tirelessly throughout my life. From the beginning till now, all kinds of things she's tried to teach me. But I know for a fact that you could boil them all down into one, maybe two words, self-control. Any moms in the room? That's what she's been trying to teach me from day one. And from day one, it's the thing that I've always struggled with, whether it's like eating 13 oatmeal cream pies when I was young, or like last week, or defacing my sister's stuffed animals, perhaps, or maybe lighting the lawnmower on fire with all of my cousins. It's a whole other story, but it's actually true. All of these things my mom has tried to teach me self-control for my life, to learn this task. And how many in the room know it's a difficult task to teach a child self-control? Every parent in the room this morning, every mother in the room this morning. But I remember clearly, like yesterday, this one particular day when I came home with my mom and my sister, and I had done something out of line, you name it, could have been anything, we got home, and I'll never forget, I, I had a consequence for whatever said thing it was, and it was a spanking. So I got a spanking, but the problem was, for the very first time, it didn't hurt. And so for the very first time, I turned to my mother, and I laughed. A bad move. And it's like the cardinal sin of all childhood. But I did it right in her face. And I realized from that moment forward, the game had changed. No longer was my mom able to control Trevor Alvin Miller, keep him on the straight and narrow. Now, this was something I was gonna have to figure out how to do on my own. Self-control had to be something that became a part of my life, not because my mom said so, but simply because I knew it was the right thing to do. I remember going to college and for the first time having to do my own laundry. Anybody else? I was like, oh my gosh, how do you, how do, you do this? Like, I went to college, I had to, had to like find out what to eat on my own. It's a whole new ballgame. Nobody was setting an alarm for me to get me up in the morning to make it to class on time. Self-control was something we've all had to learn somewhere along the way. So here's to all the mothers in the room, all the grandmothers in the room, all the mother figures in the room. Continue to invest and love those around you and try to teach them self-control. And for all of us in the room who are still learning self-control, you better hurry it up. Because one day your mama's not gonna be there to turn on your alarm and do all these other things. You better figure out how to do it on your own. Amen? Self-control. This is something that we all struggle with. You know, two weeks ago, we began this series called Level Up. We began to look at this fact that we as Christians, we as followers of Jesus, the Bible is very clear in 2 Peter that we, we have all that we need to participate in the divine nature of God. We have all that we need to live a godly life. And so we, we two weeks ago said there's two questions we have to ask. Number one, do we actually want this? And do we believe it's possible? Do you believe it's possible in your life, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, to level up, to experience the next level of living, whatever that may mean for you? Do you believe it's possible? And number two, do you actually want it? And last week, we talked about the fact that God has given us all kinds of ways for us to learn and to grow, to become more and more the person that God has called us to be. He's given us opportunity for knowledge, and not just head knowledge, but heart knowledge, like application to our life. 
whether it's reading scripture, saying prayers, having godly friendships, any kind of disciplines that you can name, these are things that God has given us so that we can grow and we can become the person that he wants us to be. But the problem is this morning that many of us in this room, including myself, we have faith, we have goodness. A lot of us, we have knowledge, we show up on a Sunday morning, we spend time reading scripture ourselves, but the problem is many of us, we are still, we're still stuck in the same level that we've been at for a long, long time. We're still one half of a struggling marriage. We're still someone who says things we don't wanna say. We're still someone who's selfish. We're still someone who gets angry about really, in the end, meaningless things. And so this morning, I believe the reason we find ourselves in this kind of place still is that because we, as human beings, we have a free will. We have choice. You see, there's blessings and there are curses to autonomy. Blesses, blessings and curses to autonomy. Autonomy is the capacity that each and every one of us have in the room this morning to choose how we will live our lives. All of us have choice in how we will choose to live our lives. This is what it means to be human. And there's blessings in this because we're not some puppet on a string who's controlled by some outside force. We are body, soul, and spirit with identity and desires and passions. What a blessing. But conversely, it can also be seen as a curse. We are body, soul, and spirit with our own wills, our own desires, our own passions. And too often, we make decisions that we regret. Too often, we make choices that we don't actually wanna make. You see, the Bible from the very beginning sets out this story of human, human beings as he created humans he handed over a portion of authority to them. He says to them, be fruitful and multiply, rule and have dominion over all of creation. God says, shape and mold the world alongside of God himself. We were created as independent beings. We were created as autonomous. We were created as people who had the opportunity to be loved and to love in return. But as everyone knows in the room, in order for there to be true love, there has to be true freedom. Every parent in the room this morning knows exactly what this is like. You've seen it happen in your life. When you brought home your first child, remember that? It was like so perfect, their little baby, so smiley, just giggled, so cute, did everything that you wanted it to do, so perfect. You brought it home to the nice little room you put together. She just laid there, he just laid there until like day 18 and everything changed. Am I wrong? Tell me I'm wrong. Like all of a sudden you're like, what happened? They used to laugh at every face I made at them, they used to giggle at every, and now they're like screaming, not doing anything you want them to do. Every parent knows day 18, things change, all of a sudden you realize, wow, this child is a child who has their own desires, wills, and passion. And it's not something that I as a parent can control, amen? It's true. Every mom in the room knows it. You bring that baby home, and all of a sudden you begin to realize, wow, we as human beings, a part of what it means to be human is that we are autonomous. We make choices on how we choose to live our life. And just as God does not control us by power over, by dominance, by coercion, though sometimes I wish he would, this is not how God treats us. And in turn, as parents, we've come to realize that we can't do that as well. We cannot parent our children in the same kind of way. It just simply doesn't work. So I remind you this morning of what 2 Peter says. As Peter is writing his final letter before his death, he knows his time is running short. And so in this final letter, he puts everything that he really, really wants to say to the early church. He's like, listen, don't miss this. 
And he says something very poignant. We're gonna walk through this entire series in 2 Peter chapter one. Would you stand with me if you would, if you can? 2 Peter chapter one, as we read God's word together, verse three through seven says this. Peter says, his divine power, speaking of God, has given us everything that we need for a godly life. Through our knowledge of him, he has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to your goodness, knowledge, to your knowledge, self-control, to your self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. It's the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Even as I read through this passage of scripture that Peter writes, there's one word that sticks out to me as so important, even above all of the different traits. I would contend that the message you're about to hear may be the most important message you've ever heard as your time here at Mount Horeb, not because of the one who's delivering it, but simply because of the passage that we're dealing with. This is incredibly important. There's a word that shows up, two words that shows up right in the middle of those traits, and it's the words self-control. Do y'all remember the, the, the word that comes afterwards? You remember what Peter says? Perseverance. Add to your self-control perseverance. You can go home after this one thing, okay? If you don't have self-control, you will never see perseverance. That's it. Y'all have one? Happy Mother's Day. If you don't have self-control, you will never have perseverance. You'll never finish the race. You'll never make it through. Simply because when things get difficult, when things get hard, you'll quit. Self-control, I believe, is the crux of the entire passage that Peter is talking about here. Without self-control, none of the other ones matter. But he reminds us at the very beginning of 2 Peter chapter 1, you have everything that you need for life and godliness, even though you don't feel like it. You have everything you need to be able to participate in the divine nature of God. It's all in you. As someone who follows Christ, it's been given to you. As I read through this passage, what I think of almost instantly is all those really fun family road trips. Remember those? Like you load all the kids up and you're going somewhere cool and like 53 miles down the road, your son throws up in the back seat. In the back, you have your children, they're arguing about like whose air they're breathing. They're breathing my air, no my air. And then you go and you stop for lunch. And everything's cool except for you gotta go to three different restaurants on two different exits to be able to satisfy all the sophisticated palates within the car. You know what I'm talking about? Those kinds of family road trips. But what's interesting is I think back on all those times, all those difficulties, all those struggles, we made it through somehow. And what's amazing to me is almost every single circumstance, every single thing that we went through, there was something that my wife, the mom of the family, had packed that was perfect for whatever was going on. I would have even said, don't bring it. But thank goodness for moms, man, they bring everything, don't they? You had that mom had that purse that like everything was stuffed inside of it. Like, where did you get that? Like Mary Poppins just pulling stuff out? Just like what took place with us. I mean, every time we had paper towels, we had this, we had Nintendo DSs. Praise God for Nintendo DSs in the back seat. We have all that we need to take care of any situation that we come across. And Peter would have the reader, those of us this morning, understand the same thing. We have everything that we need. Life on the next level is something that is actually possible for us. 
Participating in the divine nature of God, Peter would say, is something that's possible for you. Experiencing a godly life is something that is possible for you, even though you may not feel it today. I believe that this morning, some of us, we need to dig deeper into the back seat of the trunk to find out what's in there that we've been given to be able to exercise so that we can experience progress in our life. See, some of us in the room this morning, we have given up a long time ago on trying to live this whole Christian thing. Because somewhere along the way, it crashed and burned hard. You threw in the towel. And some of us this morning, we're right on the edge as well. We're teetering on the edge being like, you know what, it's too difficult. I don't have time for this. I can't do it. I don't have everything I need. And we're ready to throw in the towel too. Peter would say, don't do it. Here's the key. Peter would say, you have to listen to this one thing. Before you throw that towel in, realize it's possible for you. Do you want it? He says this, here's the key. It's self-control. It's an autonomous person, human beings created as we were created, learning every single day what it looks like to live under the reign and rule of God. It's a disciple. It's an autonomous person learning how to live under the reign and rule of God. But first, I think it's important for us to realize that we are not the first individuals here this morning who have wrestled with self-control. We are not the first people to wrestle with saying yes to the things I should say yes to, saying no to the things I should say no to, in fact, in Scripture, it happens all throughout the Bible. And so, in fact, in Genesis chapter 25, we see this story of a really dysfunctional family all the way down, specifically Isaac and Rebekah. Like many stories within Scripture, this story begins with Rebekah, who's unable to have children. She's unable to have children, and so Isaac prays. She becomes pregnant with one baby, but two babies. Surprise. We actually have our 20-week uh, checkup on Tuesday, and I hope I don't get the same surprise. I don't know what I would do. But Rebecca, pregnant, not with one baby, but two babies. And the Bible says that these two babies who are within her belly, they're actually jostling with one another. The Bible makes it very clear that from the very beginning, there's an underlying friction that's taking place between these two children who are about to be born. So here's what Genesis chapter 25 says, verses 24 through 34. It says, when the time came for Rebecca to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first came out and was red, and whole body was covered with hair. In his name, they named Esau, which means hairy or rough. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so they named this child Jacob, which means heel grabber or follower. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up. Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came home from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that stew. I'm famished. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is a birthright to me right now? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank. He got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. So clearly from the beginning of this story, you have a very dysfunctional family. It says that Isaac loved Esau, but Rebekah, she loved Jacob. Jacob and Esau, they were not very fond of each other. From the very beginning, they jostled within her belly, to which many of us in the room were like, wait till they get bunk beds in their own room. I think it's even crazier. 
So sure enough, they're born. The Bible says that eventually Esau comes in from hunting one day out in the woods, potentially getting out of the deer stand, maybe frustrated. He didn't get the deer he wanted. Things didn't go as planned. And so he comes in to the tent, and as he walks in, he can smell that Jacob is cooking some stew, some lentil stew to be exact. Doesn't that sound good? And notice Esau's frantic nature as he speaks to Jacob. He walks in, he uses words like this, quick, give me that stew, I'm about to die. What I see in Esau is like exhibit A of someone who does not have self-control. Walks in from the field, just, just been hunting. Is he hungry? Yes, he probably is. Does he want the soup? Yes, he probably does. Until you realize the cost for the soup that Jacob is making him pay. You see, for a bowl of soup and some bread, what Esau has to turn over is his birthright. Now, for some of us in the room, you're like, big deal, what's a birthright? If you lived in the ancient Near East, this was a very, very big deal. Because in the ancient Near East, this birthright was something that was a very special privilege given down to the firstborn son in the family. If you were given the birthright by your father, this meant you were gonna get a double portion of the inheritance. You would be the priest of the family. You would be given the authority that the father had passed down to you. A birthright was incredibly valuable and should be treated as such. But Esau comes in, he's got an appetite. He's hungry, he's famished. And so when he asks for a bowl of stew, Jacob says, it's gonna cost you your birthright. And so this firstborn son, given this opportunity for some stew in exchange for his birthright, every listener, every reader of this text would have been yelling at the scroll, don't do it. This is a bad trade. Don't trade him your birthright, it's not worth it. And it seems so obvious that a temporary reward, something that you can eat in a few minutes, would not be worth giving up or taking in and giving up something that was a lifelong blessing. There's no comparison. But to everybody's horror, as they listen to this story, what does Esau do? Whatever, just take it. What's it what good is it to me now? Because I'm starving right now. Now, if it was chicken noodle soup, I could understand why this would have been a little bigger deal. But lentil stew, please but he gives it up, hands over the birthright for a bowl of stew. So let's take a step back from this for a moment. What's wrong with this picture? Was there anything wrong that Esau wanted some soup? No, of course not. Was there anything wrong with the fact that he actually, he actually ate the soup? No, that's not the problem. Here's the problem. The problem is that Esau had no self-control. Esau was willing to give something that was so valuable for something that was so temporary at a drop of a hat. His appetites drove him, and he decided, I want it more than anything, so take whatever you need in order for me to have that. It's reactionary living. It's very different leading a, a reactionary life versus a, a, a proactive life. Those are two very, very different things. If we're really honest, as an autonomous being, as someone who has wills, desires, and passions of our own, think of all the different ways that we too trade something that is so valuable for something that is so temporary, simply because we can't say no. Think of all the different ways that we're willing maybe to trade a healthy marriage for some pleasure from a website. We don't say no. We don't realize there's a cost with this. And for what? A bowl of soup. It's so temporary. For some of us, we're willing to trade our, our family, our jobs, our health for an addiction to some kind of substance. And for what? We'd rather smoke this or drink that than have the healthy relationships that we could have. And why? It's a bowl of soup. But we'll trade it. 
because we can't say no. For all the young people in the room, maybe all of us in the room, there's a blessing that God has given us within sex that's meant to be between a man and a woman, a covenantal relationship. It's a gift, but we'll trade it for a one-night fling, and for what? It's a bowl of soup. You see, the tragedy of the story is not that there was soup involved, not that Jacob was a really great cook. The tragedy is that Esau couldn't say no. It's a tragedy that Esau couldn't see that he was trading something that was so valuable for something that was so temporary. Here's what I know for sure from firsthand experience. If we want to experience the next level of our life, the places that God wants for us to go, we have to begin to develop self-control to say no to the things that we should say no to and say yes to the things that we should say yes to. That is how we level up. You see, the reason Peter places self-control in this list of traits is because he knows without living a commitment to a proactive life, not a reactive life, that we'll never experience all that God has for us. A proactive life is a life that lives for something. We're going in a certain direction. It's intentional, but a reactive life is someone who's on the surface Whatever temptation comes, whatever pleasure comes, we jump at it in a heartbeat. We can't say no. And the difference is living on the surface versus going deep and seeing how every single minute of our life makes up a life. And the difference is making decisions based upon long-term outcome and not momentary gratification. This is what Peter wants us to see. Self-control is the crux of the entire thing. To live all the life that God has for us saying yes to the things we should say no to, yes to, and the things, saying no to the things we should say no to, this is what Peter would have for us. It's like it says in Romans chapter seven, Paul says this, why do I do all the things that I don't want to do? And why don't I do the things that I do want to do? It's a lot of do's. But Paul's trying to get to this point, why is it that I seem to struggle so much with these two decisions that I can possibly make? And the answer is this, Paul gets to it, Peter gets to it, we intrinsically know it. It's living reactionary lives versus living proactive lives. It's having self-control or a lack of self-control. You see, this morning, every single one of us, we have appetites within our lives, but our appetites need direction. It's not a problem to have an appetite, but they need direction. Esau, he was ruled by his appetite. He couldn't say no, and too often we're the same kind of way. I'll tell you what, if you put me in that situation with Jacob, I have no problem saying no to lentil stew. Are you kidding me? I'd rather keep your stew, I'll keep the birthright, no problem. But you give Jacob a piece of cake, it's a whole different ballgame. Jacob's like, hey, I'll give you this cake for the birthright. Now I got a problem, because cake for me is like a major weakness. Whatever appetite you have in the room, whatever it's for, there are certain things that are our weakness, am I right? When this certain thing comes up, then it's like, oh my gosh, why are you gonna tempt me with that thing? If Jacob had cake, I'd be done. And what compounds the problem is that for me, cake is such a weakness of mine. Any kind of cake, I will eat that cake. I go to weddings for cake. I do weddings for cake. <laughs> Don't tell any husband and wife that I've married that that's the reason. But pretty recently, I began to realize that, that cake was such a problem. If I didn't start getting to the gym, cake would be my downfall. So sure enough, in recent weeks, probably the past four or five weeks, I've, I've started to go to the gym at five o'clock in the morning with two guys here from the church. And I'm gonna tell you, I, I hate it. <laughs> Every single second. I've started to run again, and I hate to run. Like, with everything in me, I hate to run. But you know what I hate more? 
my, what my health does if I don't run? What happens to me if all I do is eat cake? What happens to me if I let my appetite run everything? You see, it's difficult enough just to get up in the morning and go to the gym to get back out there and run once again. It's even more difficult. You start throwing cake into the situation. Then it's a problem. And if we're honest, we all have some kind of appetite that too often takes advantage of us. Too often we give in to. And this appetite itself is not bad. Whether it's food, money, success, sex, material things, these are good things that I believe God has placed within our life, but they can't run the show. These are good things that God has placed within our life as a blessing to us, but they were never meant to take control. See, our appetites need direction. We need to be able to say no. We need to be saying, you don't control me any longer. I'm the one who's in control. The spirit of God within me is the one who's in control. That's how I'm gonna live my life. And so here's what I've found to be true. Experiencing the next level is directly correlated to consistency in this one. Let me say that again. Experiencing the next level within our life is directly correlated to being consistent in this one. Whatever level you find yourself in today, maybe it's not even the level that you wanna be on. Like you would much prefer it be further down the road. But yet here you are. If you begin to experience consistency, consistently being able to be self-controlled in this level, you will experience the next one. This is how we move forward. This is how we progress. This is how we change. Consistency. The truth is it doesn't matter what video game you're playing, what gaming console you're on. It could be skee-ball, it could be pinball, it could be anything. If you're gonna play a game, make it from level to level to level, it's gonna require that you are consistent in the level that you're currently on to miss that pitfall, to get past that bad guy, to get that star, whatever it might be, consistency is the key. You see, the, the reason many of us in this room this morning are struggling with something we've been struggling with for years, the, the reason this morning that some of us, we continue to be tripped up by the exact same kind of thing is a lack of self-control. It's a lack of consistency. The book of Proverbs puts it like this as the writer writes in Proverbs 25, 28. He says this, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. When I read this passage, it was a punch in the gut. You know what I look like when I don't have self-control? I look like a city that has no walls. I'm vulnerable to anything. And for those who've been reading Proverbs and for the writer who wrote this particular proverb, they were thoroughly acquainted to what it meant to have a city that had no wall. They were vulnerable to attack. You had no way of keeping certain people out. You were left vulnerable. You could be destroyed. Readers and listeners of this text would have fully understood the implications of having a city with no wall. And the comparison's made. That city is like a person who lacks self-control. You're vulnerable to any kind of temptation. You're not protected from any kind of foolish decision. You're sitting ducks for shame, guilt, and regret. A person without self-control is like a city without a wall. It can't be missed on us today. What are the different ways that we're leaving ourselves open to whatever temptation could come along? Think of the cost that it might cost for a bowl of soup, for a temporary reward. And so maybe this is you this morning. Maybe you know exactly what it's like to not be able to trust yourself. I know what that's like. Maybe you know what this is like because you've had certain things within your life that you've traded over for things that are temporary. You've, you've settled for less when God wants more for you. 
But the good news this morning is I think there are some ways that we can really practically put self-control to work within our life so we can experience the next level that God has for us. So two things. Number one, self-control is a muscle. Self-control is a muscle. I confess to you, I started going to the gym at 5 a.m. So before God's up, I'm getting in my car and driving to the gym to meet a couple guys to work out. And like any person who's ever started to do some kind of workout routine again, maybe you've not done in a long time, maybe you've never done, swimming, biking, running, lifting weights, whatever it might be, you find out there are certain muscles that you didn't know you had that all of a sudden are very sore, am I right? Or maybe muscles that, were, that you know you have, but you've never worked them out like this kind of way. And the kind of sore I'm talking about is like, I can't sit down kind of sore. Someone else has to feed me kind of sore. Don't make me laugh because it hurts too bad kind of sore. Here's why, that muscle is being torn apart so that it can be built up stronger. And so when you start doing it, it's a difficult thing. And what happens with most of us, when we get sore, guess what? We're like, I'm not doing this, this hurts, I quit. And what happens when we try to do it again, guess what happens again? You get sore again. You have to push through and keep showing up until that soreness is gone. All of a sudden, you turn into a beast. The muscles begin to grow. For some of us in the room this morning, we need to start really small with saying, this is the one thing that I'm gonna have self-control and I'm gonna say no to this. I'm gonna say yes to this. Start small. But what I've found is the more that you have self-control in one area, it spills over into other areas of your life as well. I'll be honest with you, the past five weeks, I've been getting up in the morning and going to the gym and working out. I've found that it's impacted my relationship with God. So I get home, I spend time in the Bible before I get anybody else up, I make breakfast for my family. I found that it's made me a more productive person. Just this one thing. Self-control is a muscle. For some of us, we have to start flexing it. We have to start using it. I would remind you once again, it's something that you already have, Peter says. In fact, self-control also shows up in the list of fruits of the Spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's been given to you. Start exercising it. It'll be sore, I promise. It'll feel hard because when you make the right kind of decision, you're like, I did so good. Then you're like, I gotta do this again like tomorrow? And then you do it again, I'm like, I did so good. I gotta do this again like for the next like rest of my life? Yes, yes. Put self-control to work. Now again, when it's five in the morning or whatever else you're trying to have self-control, what I've found is if there's not somebody else at the gym who's there waiting for me to arrive, it is so easy for me to be like, you know what? I'll just keep sleeping. But there are two guys from this church that I'm so thankful for. They're there before I get there usually, and I come rolling in, they're like, hey, what's up? And having that accountability for me is crucial to keeping self-control a part of my life. Here's the truth. Some of us in this room this morning, the reason that we've not had someone keeping us accountable is the truth is we don't actually wanna change. We don't really wanna have somebody asking about this thing. There's something within us that has to make that shift to say, I, I believe this is costing me so much that to have someone ask me about it is so worth it, I'll do it. And we have accountability for our lives, asking us the hard questions because they care about us. Self-control is a muscle. And I can guarantee you this, if you're gonna experience the next level, you're not gonna do it alone. There's gotta be somebody else with you. Lastly, trigger and reward trigger and reward. Every single bad decision has an origin somewhere. And usually it's some kind of trigger that causes us to think, man, if I had this, then I'd be happy. It's walking past the pantry, realizing there's Oreos in the pantry. Like, oh my gosh, if I had an Oreo, like this day, this horrible day would be so much better. We just eat some Oreos. 
But it's some kind of trigger. You're on your computer, a pop-up comes up on the screen. It's a trigger. You feel lonely, you don't feel loved, it's a trigger. This juicy piece of gossip somebody's talking about in the office, it's a trigger. And the trick is this, when that trigger happens, we begin to convince ourselves there's a reward. If we just eat those things, if we just click that button, if we just have that conversation with those folks, man, I'll feel so fulfilled. And guess what? It's a lie every single time. It's a lie every single time. Not only that, but the great trick is this. When you give in, you feel worse. So it's easier to give in the next time. As much as your muscles get stronger, the more you work them out, when you don't, they atrophy, get weaker. When we give in and in and in to these triggers, these promised rewards, we find that it's even easier to do it the next time. So I'm convinced this morning, one of the things that would be really practical for us to do is begin to have new triggers within our life that would help us to remind us that we have better rewards for us and it comes by self-control. So as you leave today, there are some stickers that look just like this. At a couple tables at the back doors, I'd encourage you to grab a couple of these. Take them with you. Stick this on the pantry door. Every time you see it, you're like, you know what? I don't need the Oreos. Stick this on the phone. Stick this on the computer next to your speedometer, wherever you gotta put this thing to help have a trigger that would cause you to realize there's a better reward for being patient and self-controlled in this particular area. These stickers are for you. Take these with you. I've already had some folks send pictures back to the church and to me saying, here's where I'm using this thing, so where I've stuck this thing. Grab these stickers, these are for you, for a new trigger, realizing there's a better reward by exercising self-control. My prayer for all of us this morning is we would number one, begin to realize, recognize, and believe that there's another level for us that we would really, truly want it, want it so badly we'd be willing to do whatever it takes to get there. Even if that means saying no to all of these things or saying yes to these other things so that we can experience the next level for us. Would you pray with me? God, first and foremost, I'm so grateful for your patience with me, with all of us. As your word says, God, your patience, your mercy, your grace is meant to lead us to repentance. And so today, God, I repent of all the ways that I've lacked self-control within my life, all the ways that I've cost myself something. I pray for every person here this morning, God, with eyes closed, that there's this, this thing that you need to say no to. Would you ask God, even now, to give you the strength, the audacious faith to believe that he can empower you by his spirit to say no? Think of that one thing. Start small. Or maybe this morning there's this thing that you need to start doing. You need to begin somewhere. You need to start small. Think of that one thing and may you pray, God, by your power, your strength, your spirit living within me, giving me all that I need to experience a godly life, would you help me to say yes to this each and every day? Father, we're grateful for the freedom that you've given us to choose you, to receive your love for us. I pray, God, that every one of us in this morning would choose you today, would choose the life that you have for us today. And God, may you help us by your spirit level up. God, we love you. It's in your name we pray, amen.